0: hi i'm george nori and welcome to the new iHeartMedia media and coast-to-coast Coast am paranormal podcast network like us on facebook tell your friends and share us with everyone this is an exciting new network that will feature podcasts of the paranormal supernatural and the unexplained now sit back please and enjoy strange things with joshua p warren <laughs>
1: Get ready to be amazed by the Wizard of Weird. This is Strange Things with Joshua P. Warren.
2: I am Joshua P. Warren, and each week on this show, I'll be bringing you brand new mind-blowing content, news, exercises, and weird experiments you can do at home and a lot more. On this edition of the show, would you like to hear about some amazing items from my strange collections? I bet you would, because, you know, for 30 years, I've been traveling the world investigating weird, amazing stuff, collecting samples, taking them back to the lab, doing tests and experiments. I even had a museum for 10 years, called the Asheville Mystery Museum in Asheville, North Carolina, my hometown. And, of course, I live in Las Vegas now. And uh, the only reason that I no longer have the museum is because it was housed in the basement of the Asheville Masonic Temple, a very old, grand building. But... It's gotten so old that uh, the basement was just perfect for the museum. It's like a dungeon down there. But there's a lot of precipitation in Asheville. A lot of rain and they started having problems with the basement flooding. And uh, I was losing some of my stuff in the basement and so finally the board said, we have got to do some major renovations. This could take years to complete. And so... In January of 2020, uh, I will be forever indebted to to so many friends in Asheville who went there and helped move my museum out of the building. I could not be there in person because I was working on a TV program here in Vegas. And so this. Show, I guess, is a bit of a tease because none of the things I'm going to tell you about are on display right now. They are either in some special storage units that I have strewn around the country that are climate controlled and perfect for various things, or I have some here in my home that I see and interact with every day. So I'm just going to kind of ramble on here and go down the list and tell you about some of the things that I have. And uh, I'm I'm not going to tell you everything. I'll still keep some surprises. And over the years, I have sold some really interesting pieces to raise money for fundraisers and that kind of thing. But it's a shame if you didn't get to see the museum while it was up. You know, the Asheville Masonic Temple was already a very haunted building. Long before I moved my stuff in there, it was a temporary emergency ward when the Spanish influenza hit around 1918. And we don't know how many people died in the building. But over the years, there were plenty of stories of people seeing apparitions in there. Uh, Lauren saw a shadow person in there. A friend of mine named Louis saw one in the basement. Doors would constantly open and close. I would be down there in that basement sometimes by myself at night. And this is a big, big empty building. You know, it's several stories tall. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, it would sound just like somebody took their fist and went just pounded on the door to the museum. Just And I would jump out of my skin and run over there and open the door. And there would be nobody around, no evidence of anybody in the building. And so... My stuff was already often kind of haunted stuff, but it's even more haunted now, I think, because for so many years, it sat at this haunted property. And in fact, uh, I want to tell you a really interesting story about the Hope Diamond that I bet you've never heard before. And, and I've been looking for an excuse to tell you this story for a while. And this is a good time to bring it up as I reflect on the things that I have in my collection. So the largest mass murder killing spree in the history of Asheville, North Carolina, which is up in the mountains, the Blue Ridge Mountains in the western part of the state. That's where you find the Biltmore House and the Grove Park. And um, the largest killing spree took place there in 1906, known as the Will Harris Murders. And Will Harris was a man who escaped from prison with uh, just a whole long list, a whole laundry list of of charges, a long rap sheet. And he he went to Asheville. I think he he escaped from near Charlotte. And he went to Asheville because he was looking for an old girlfriend. And and everybody was sort of trying to hide her from him. And it got late at, at night. And he got ticked off. And he was drinking whiskey. And he ended up buying a rifle, and the next thing you know, he went on a shooting rampage around town. Killed a couple of police officers, a number of civilians. But the reason I'm telling you this story is when he started his rampage, which I think it was around like 9.30 p.m., uh, he was walking down one of the main streets there in downtown Asheville. We now call it Biltmore Avenue. And across the street from him, there was this popular Pub that was, you know, at least two or three stories tall. And there was a judge who liked to spend time at that pub. His name was Spears Reynolds. And Spears Reynolds always carried a little pistol in his vest pocket. And so when the shooting erupted on the street, because really Will Harris was sort of shooting at you know, just random people half the time. Judge Spears Reynolds, he rushed out and he saw an opportunity to use this pistol and he took it out and he and Will Harris started exchanging gunfire back and forth across the street. And at one point, Will Harris's bullet hit so close to the judge that it cracked some bricks and some pieces of the bricks fell right down on top of the judge's head. The judge said, "Okay, that's enough. And he went back inside. And so neither of those guys hit the other one. But it was a really interesting moment because, you know, later Will Harris was tracked down by a posse and they riddled him with, you know, probably a hundred bullets. It's one of those deals. But everybody always considered Judge Spears Reynolds to be the luckiest man in Asheville after that night because he faced down our worst fiend and, and came out unharmed. So he was a bit of a hero. And what's interesting about him being considered the lucky Judge in Asheville is that 26 years later, his brother, Robert Reynolds, became a United States Senator from Asheville. He was a very prominent Senator. They called him Bunkum Bob. And, uh, Reynolds was tied in with, you know, the Reynolds tobacco family. Uh, the guy's official portrait shows him, uh, smoking a cigarette. <laughs> it's pretty funny. So anyway, Senator Bob there, he lived near Asheville at what they now call Reynolds Mansion, uh, which is a beautiful bed and breakfast now. Uh, He lived there in this big, glorious mansion that had been around since, gosh, uh, probably before the Civil War. And when Senator Reynolds was 57 years old, he married a 19 year old young woman and that 19 year old. Was the daughter of Evelyn McLean. Evelyn McLean was the last private owner of the Hope Diamond. Now, of course, I won't go into this whole trail of bad phenomena that has followed the Hope Diamond. You can look that up on your own, but you know, that's why they say it's cursed. Like all these bad things have happened to people who have owned the Hope Diamond. And so Evelyn McLean would visit Asheville. And she would go to the Reynolds mansion to see her daughter and her son-in-law. And she would wear the Hope Diamond to parties and social gatherings. This priceless big blue diamond. (laughs) Now, she had already experienced some bad luck. Uh, Right after she got it, her son died in a car accident. And shortly after she visited her daughter and the senator in Asheville, her daughter died of a drug overdose, and then things just kept getting worse and worse from there. Uh, her philandering husband died in a sanitarium. The family newspaper, the Washington Post, went bankrupt. And just one year after her daughter's death, Evelyn herself died from pneumonia, and she was 60 years old. So the bad luck surrounding Evelyn McLean helped sort of prompt the New York jeweler, Harry Winston, to donate the cursed Hope Diamond to the Smithsonian. Now, I know you're asking yourself at this point, Josh, do you have the Hope Diamond? I do not. But what I did was I bought a really high-quality replica of the Hope Diamond from the Smithsonian. Now, trust me, I have lots of unique original things I'm going to tell you about in this podcast, but I wanted to get this one out of the way because it is a replica. And so when when you'd walk into the museum, I would have this replica there and show its connection to to Asheville and all this other weird stuff that people don't usually talk about or know about when they discuss the Hope Diamond. But here is a question that I had. For myself when I bought it and I want you to ask yourself this question. I thought to myself. Do I even want to buy a replica of this thing? (laughs) Because maybe there's something about the shape itself that acts as an antenna that somehow attracts Bad stuff and I was kind of would you do that? Would you put a replica of the Hope Diamond in your house? It's a good question, isn't it? Well, I got it and what I can tell you is fortunately all has been smooth sailing. No problems, so I can assure you, replicas of the the Hope Diamond are not cursed. I've seen the original one in the Smithsonian though. I don't think I would want to own that. But when we come back from this break, I'm going to tell you about some things I have that are the real deal, including one of my favorite things that I picked up in Transylvania in Romania while I was investigating vlad the impaler the real dracula hey remember now i am i'm arranging some experiments that you can participate in and i'm going to be giving away some free stuff soon but um i can't talk about it on this podcast it's only for people who sign up for my free e-newsletter go to joshua p Takes you two seconds, put in your email address, and you'll instantly receive a free good luck charm and some other goodies at joshuapwarren.com. I am Joshua P. Warren, and you are listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network, and I will be right
3: back. Stay right there. There's more Joshua P. Warren coming right up.
4: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does
5: at purdueglobal.edu
0: The Art Bell Vault never disappoints if you're an insider. Classic audio at your fingertips. Go now to coasttocoastam.com for details.
1: Looking for that certain someone who shares your interests in UFOs, ghosts, Bigfoot, conspiracy theories, and the paranormal? Look no further than paranormaldate.com The unique site for like-minded people. If you like the senior crowd, Try paranormaldate.com forward slash seniors to meet like-minded people that are 60 plus. It all depends on what you prefer. Paranormaldate.com is great for everyone. You can also tap into members that are 60 plus at paranormaldate.com forward slash seniors. Enjoy your search. Have some fun at paranormaldate.com.
6: And now back to iHeartRadio and Strange Things.
2: On the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network, I am your host, the Wizard of Weird, beaming into your wormhole brain from my studio in Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada, where every day is golden and every night is silver. I'm going to tell you about some of the real unique things that I have. Uh, but you know, when it comes to replicas, I do have some other really interesting replicas. You know, the Shuar tribe in the Amazon region of South America is infamous because they specialized in the shrunken heads. And I do not have a shrunken human head, but I do have a shrunken head. Crafted by the descendants of the Shu'ar tribe and it is made of flesh I don't know what kind of flesh it is as soon as I bought this thing Lauren saw it that's my wife and she said oh that's a goat testicle now I have no idea why that Lauren was able to so quickly identify a goat testicle Uh, but that is what she says she thinks my shrunken head actually is. I don't know, but it's, you know, it's still an interesting piece because it came directly from them. Uh, I also, you know, I do not at all advocate the, the harming of animals for, uh, you know, taxidermy or collections or any of that. But, you know, sometimes animals just die. I mean, we've all been walking through the woods and stumbled upon, like, a monkey or something like that. You know what I mean? Right, right. So I've always thought I wouldn't mind having a monkey's paw because there's that old story from the 1800s uh, where a guy, I'm not going to tell you the story right now, but a guy, he gets a, a monkey's paw and it supposedly it grants wishes. But it's a horror story because every time he grants a wish, something bad happens in order to make the wish come true. So it's a cautionary tale. But anyway, I always thought, huh, that would be just like an, an odd little thing for me to have a monkey's paw. And, but they, you, I've never seen a monkey's paw for sale. I do have a monkey skull that a friend of mine who deals in novelties sold to me. Uh, maybe you can hold a monkey's skull and make a wish on it. I don't know. But, again, these are not animals that are killed for this purpose. These are animals that die usually in zoos, and, and or there are some countries that probably eat them. I don't know exactly. But, anyway, my point is I was on eBay one time, and I happened to type in monkey's paw, and there was a taxidermist who had something that looked a heck of a lot like a monkey's paw. and But he said it wasn't really a monkey's paw. So I bought it, and then I said, well, what is it? And that's when he confessed that it is a raccoon paw. He said he found that uh, he goes out. He lives in, the I think, the uh, southeastern U.S. And he goes out and he just hunts roadkill. And people tell him, you know, when there's roadkill. And he does little artistic things like that. So I do have a raccoon paw. So I've gotten out of the way. <laughs> it's in a nice little beautiful glass case with a latch. It's all old-fashioned and spooky-looking. I'm getting out of the way some of that kind of stuff, which is, you know, more like replica-oriented. And by the way, if you do happen to know anybody who has a monkey's paw for sale, you know, let me know about it. But when – again, in 2012, I – Got to take one of the most amazing, best trips of my life. I spent some time in Europe. I got to investigate the Tower of London. I took the official Jack the Ripper tour there in London. And I flew to Romania, and I got to investigate all of the big castles associated with Vlad the Impaler. Not just the touristy stuff. I mean, I'm talking historic places that uh either he either he owned or where he was imprisoned and um we had a great historian and guide and a lot of spooky things happened but um one of the best parts of that trip was going to the town where they wrote the Romanians say that Vlad was born. Uh it's called Sighisoara and it is the uh the they call it the best preserved middle um Middle Ages, like medieval town in Europe. That's what it's promoted as. And it's amazing. It doesn't look real. The whole place looks like a movie set. So I felt like I was in the Dracula novel on the way there. As a matter of fact, I'll just toss this out in case that you find this of interest. Uh If you read the book Dracula, I brought up a little PDF of it right here in front of me, Uh like just a few pages into the book. Jonathan Harker is writing in his diary, of course, about his trip as he's going to Transylvania. And so he, um, he writes that he stopped like at some inn and he says, I dined on what they call robber steak, bits of bacon, onion, and beef seasoned with red pepper and strung on sticks and roasted over the fire in a simple style of London's cat meat. The wine was golden mediash which produces a queer sting on the tongue, which is, however, not disagreeable. Now, you may or may not know that I enjoy a glass of wine. And so I said, hey, I got to have me some of this golden meaty just like Jonathan Harker in the book Dracula. And sure enough, near Sigishwara, there is a winery called Jidve. I think it's J-I-D-V-E-I or something like that uh, and let's look it up and so Radu who was our guide there he said they they are going to produce the closest thing to that wine Yeah, J-I-D-V-E-I and it is great wine Jidve white wine but uh, since I have gotten back in the states I have never been able to find it so if any of you know how to get some Jidve white wine let me know and I'll buy a few bottles. Anyway, in Sigishwara, in the home, well, the the birthplace of Vlad the Impaler there in Transylvania, I said to Lauren, I have got to have a crucifix from this place. And I imagine that maybe when you go to Transylvania and it looks like you're in the movies and you have these big snow-capped mountains everywhere, maybe it's easy to find a crucifix. It was practically impossible none of the shops I went into had them I'm hitting up antique shop after antique store I mean like nobody had any crosses and I'm asking people it was just really weird to me that it was so hard to find a cross and I'd basically almost given up hope and finally here I was in Sigishwara a stone's throw from where you know like the building that Vlad was born in and I walked down this really steep, small, dark staircase underneath the street. Okay. Under the cobblestones. And it came out into this tiny little antique shop. The, the, the ceiling was so low. I could barely stand up in there. It was really claustrophobic. And there was this little old woman in there with all these display cases with various odds and ends. And I went over and I said to her, that I, well, I'm looking for a crucifix. And at first, she pointed out a crucifix that she had that was really cool, an old antique crucifix, and it had some nice big like, pieces of amber in it and everything. And I was like, I'll take it. I bought that. And I said, do you have anything older, though? And she goes, well, I do have a piece, but... This is something that I usually keep, you know, for my special collectors. And I was like, what, 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 do you, what do you have there? So she goes back and she comes back out from behind her scenes there in her shop. And she had this worn, simple, metal cross that had been hand hewn, hand fashioned. And she told me that this had belonged to a family there in the area, there around Sigishwara in Transylvania. Uh, It had been in the family for generations because they actually had some dark spirits that were messing with the family and that this is what they used to keep the spirits at bay. It basically was on the mantle at their house and the, uh, the last ancestor had died and they had an estate type of cell. And so I said, I will take it. And I have therefore got this actual old generational metal. And I forget what kind of metal it is because it's been in storage now for a while and I haven't, you know, it's been in a nice glass case. Uh, I'm going to be breaking it out soon. That's one of those things I'll probably put in my house, but, um, so I have this nice Transylvania cross uh with some actual pieces of Vlad's castle Poenari and that's one of the just one of the coolest things that I have great memories there. Okay, moving on. Oh yeah, I also have a vampire killing kit. Uh there there I met an exorcist one time uh here in the states who actually makes vampire killing kits with the wooden stakes and the silver bullets and the garlic and the salt and all that stuff. So I have that. That's a really neat thing to have. It's in a nice big wooden box, you know. Um, When I was in Puerto Rico, I was always coming across really interesting stuff there. And one day, my friend Ellis said, Josh, you've got to meet me at the bar. I have something you want to see. Trust me, you're going to love this. And I met Ellis there at the bar, and he opens up a shoebox, and inside is this big skull with big teeth, and just a really creepy ridge on the top. And he said, this is a chupacabra skull. I said, what? <laughs> and sure enough, there was a small town in the western part of Puerto Rico where people had been claiming they, they were seeing some kind of what they called a chupacabra running around and killing livestock. And it was always seen, especially around this one house. And they finally went under there. They smelled something dead and they went under the house and they found that this thing had crawled under a house and died. And so he says, this is what the people of that village called a chupacabra skull. And I made a nice donation to the village. And now I have this thing. And look, I'll be honest with you. I think it's some kind of a canine skull. Um. But I I I know that it's, it's, this is going to be shocking to you. I have not had this expertly examined yet. And the main reason is when I got it, I shipped it to Asheville from Puerto Rico. And since I've been back in the States, I have not had a chance to do testing on a lot of the stuff that I ship back. But that's not all I got from Puerto Rico. You know, everybody talks about what happens when a UFO crashes. Well, a UFO crashed in Puerto Rico. And when we come back from this break, I'm going to tell you about that crash and what I retrieved from the crash site. Another super cool thing that I have in my collection. I'm Joshua P. Warren. You're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And I will be right back.
1: Don't go anywhere. There's more strange
3: things coming right up.
6: The Coast to Coast AM mobile app is here and waiting for you right now. With the app, you can hear classic shows from the past seven years, listen to the current live show, and get access to the Art Bell Vault where you can listen to uninterrupted audio. So head on over to the Coast to Coast AM.com website. We have a handy video guide to help you get the most out of your mobile app usage. All the info is waiting for you now at Coast to Coast That's Coast to Coast
0: Hey, the Coast to Coast AM YouTube channel is waiting for you now. Go to coasttocoastam.com for more information.
6: And now back to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network and Strange Things.
2: Welcome back to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I am your host, Joshua P. Warren, and this is the show where the unusual becomes usual. And when I was living in Puerto Rico, I went to the home of a man who lives in Lajas. Now, Lajas is a very rural part of the island. It's on the western side. It's uh, That's basically over in the direction of where you find the Laguna Cartagena, the UFO Lagoon. And he was home there in his kitchen on May 5th of 19, uh, 1997. May 5th, 1997. Uh, preparing a meal when all of a sudden, this is in the early evening... The sky lit up red, and there was a horrible explosion on the mountain right next to his house, the uninhabited mountain. There may have been some animals, you know, roaming there. Boom! Big flash of blinding light, and then he looked up, and the entire mountain was ablaze. And in no time, you had every emergency service in the world there followed by every government agency you can imagine. And they were coming in with Geiger counters and hazmat suits and cleaning out the area and telling everybody, don't come around here. This could be radioactive, blah, 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 blah. But they would never, ever give an explanation as to what it was. So many people have seen UFOs around that spot and aliens around that spot that this incident was sort of the icing on the cake. And so uh, it became so popular that at one point, one of the state officials there, I guess actually was a local official, decided to designate the, the road that runs through their, uh Puerto Rico's extraterrestrial highway. So just like we have an ET highway here in Las Vegas, there's also one in Lajas, Puerto Rico. So it's actually a bit of a hike uh, to get to this spot where this thing crashed. But I got permission to go on this land. It's private land. And I, I got a guide because you could get lost up there easily. And uh, my friend Ellis and the guide and I, we took a whole day and we hiked up to this spot where this thing had crashed. And when I got there, uh there were still signs of some type of, you know, big explosion there. I took lots of pictures, video footage, measurements. And I didn't get anything particularly radioactive or, you know, there were some very odd electromagnetic fields, that best I recall. But the main thing that impressed me was you found or I found all of these uh, charred black scorched stones still there around the impact zone. And so I got a bag full of these things and shipped them back to the U.S. And so that is another thing I have in my collection. I have some scorched rocks from the UFO crash site in Lajas, Puerto Rico from May 5th of 1997. That is something else that I'm going to be devoting a lot of research to in the near future, and I'll be telling you how that goes. Also, you know, if you listen to one of my earlier podcasts, I forget which episode it was, um, I was talking about the time I spent investigating Roswell, New Mexico, and how that, sure, when you go there, there are places where the the tourist guides will tell you like, oh yeah, that's the crash site. No, no, this is the crash site. Well, when I went there, I was with historians that had actually found the real crash site there around Corona, like the main area. And so I did collect some, some sand from the desert. I do have some sand from the real Roswell crash site. I also have some UFO crash debris, some little pieces of metal that were, collected from near Roswell. And perhaps I'll tell you more about that on a future show. That is also one of my most prized possessions. And people who go to the creepy Vegas ghost and UFO show here I do in Las Vegas, at least I will be doing it again once we can have shows like that, Um, it, uh, you know, it features that you get to touch a piece of it. I have pieces I collected from a crop circle in the hay that appeared in a part of Western North Carolina. Also in Western North Carolina, uh, this is probably the heaviest thing in my collection. We had the old Buncombe County jail there in town, which was built in 1928. And after being there for 83 years, being the center of all that drama, uh, the officials in the area decided to demolish and scrap that jail. And build a new gel, and so the idea was—I mean, this jail is all just—you can imagine—the most hardcore, heavy, thick steel. The idea was like like they hired this company from Tennessee to go in and just you you use giant cranes and torches and cut everything up into, into the tiniest pieces possible, scoop them out, take them off, dump them, and you know, and uh, and scrap them. And I wanted to have some pieces of the gel. I wanted to preserve some. Sp- some parts of this old jail, not just because they're haunted, but also it's, that's just a very rare opportunity. Historically speaking, you know, to be able to save a piece of something like that. And fortunately the guy in charge of the scrapping company from Tennessee, he had an appreciation for history and he worked with me and yes, I paid him, but, um, he took special care to cut out some big, heavy pieces of that old jail uh the bars a crude metal table a bed uh part of a a peephole like a whole section of the of the wall or the door that had a peephole some of the big levers that would open and close the cell doors i have these giant heavy chunks of metal <laughs> that's the worst part about moving my collection around nobody wants to be on the move the jail bars duty uh, but I have these old haunted jails, uh, uh, jail bars. And not surprisingly, this stuff is extremely magnetic. It's, it's even more magnetized than you would expect it to be just from being made of steel and people. They're always hearing weird voices around. I think they're magnetized with spiritual activity from decades of exposure to criminals, desperate people, all these dreary souls. Trapped behind them, so that's <laughs> that's an interesting thing. Another heavy thing that I have, I have the original vacuum chamber that the Lemur team and I used to do our Brown Mountain lights experiments. We produced a uh, a plasma on a miniature scale that's very similar to the Brown Mountain Lights. And it's it's such a special thing because it earned us the cover of a science journal, the Electric Spacecraft Journal in 2004. Not many people in the so-called paranormal field can say they have been on the cover of a science journal. And so I've got that big, heavy... Very, you know, it's if you don't know what you're doing with that thing, it's a dangerous machine, actually. I've got that vacuum chamber. I have a lot of the machines featured on TV shows like Ghost Adventures. For example, on Ghost Adventures, I own the big Tesla coil that was on the live episode of Ghost Adventures, I think from like maybe 2018. The Van de Graaff machines that were on just recently um a devil's toy box that we used on our winchester mansion show so i have a lot of tv prop stuff and you've heard me talk a lot about my buddy jim mars uh, who uh, he was just one of a kind a walking encyclopedia the world's greatest expert when it comes to conspiracies and he was just uh He really was a walking encyclopedia. Jim Mars, he died in 2017 at age 73. And I'm so lucky because the last time I visited him was the year before in 2016. Lauren and I were in Texas for something. Actually, we were passing through Texas. And uh, he lived in in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And so we went to his house and we spent a night with him and his wife, Carol, and it was just a treasured memory. I saw things, and he showed me things that I'll never forget. I'll do a whole other podcast sometime about the things that Jim Mars had at his house and his collection. But Jim Mars, you know, if, you've, if you're if you having trouble picturing him, he always wore a fedora. He had a gray beard. He was a jolly man. And Jim uh, was famous for wearing that fedora. And I guess, you know, he was getting up there in years. And so I, I just knew when I saw him in 2016, Lauren and I had a feeling it might be the last time we were to see him, even though he was in good health at that time. And I convinced Jim to take a fedora out of his closet and sign it so that I could put it in my museum. And he did. He made me buy a fedora. He had a, he had probably 20 fedoras in his closet and he made me buy one. <laughs> But I was happy to. So I got this fedora from him. He signed it. And then uh he also gave me a picture of him wearing that f- the same fedora at Chitsunitsa and a handwritten note saying he wore that uh and uh, anyway, when he was done, he says, After all this, Josh, if anybody doubts that I own this fedora, they can kiss my <laughs> So anyway, um I've got as, as far as I know, the only signed Jim Mars fedora. That's, oh, yeah. What a, what, what a treasure. I mean, to me, that's a, a true treasure. Oh. My great friend Santero David Longley, he donated a big special beaded wand, probably like 2.5 feet long, you know, like a big Santeria wand and, and another very special item that's used in Santeria. I would tell you more about this stuff but i am going to be interviewing him soon and so instead of telling you now i'll let him tell you what these things are that he donated for the collection i have uh haunted dolls uh i have a german doll that uh it's people they say has a presence around it. And I have a replica of Robert the haunted doll that I got from Key West. It's not an exact replica, but it's, they sell it as a replica. So I've got all kinds of little dolls and things. But when we come back from this break, I'm going to tell you about the ultimate, like my favorite things that I want to tell you about that I have that are so precious to me that I have them here in my house. I see them every single day And then I'm going to tell you about my crystal skull and what I think is up with the crystal skull phenomenon because I have a heck of a a unique crystal skull. I knew the show was going to fly right by. Uh, All right. I'm Joshua P. Warren. You're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I'll be right back after these messages.
0: Don't go anywhere. There's more strange things coming right up. You're
6: listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network heard on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows.
1: With age, women and men have issues with fine lines, wrinkles, under-eye bags, crepey skin on the neck, and aging on the hands. Dr. Nathan Newman has developed Luminesse for amazing results treating these issues with his stem cell-based formula, APT200. Try Luminesse today with our postage-paid starter kit. For only $19.99, available exclusively at HealthyLooking.com. Join thousands of satisfied customers using Luminous. Learn more at HealthyLooking.com.
0: Hi, this is George Norrie, and you're listening to the new iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Now let's get back to Strange Things with Joshua P. Warren.
2: back to the final segment of this edition of Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I'm your host, Joshua P. Warren, and two of my favorite items in my collection are right here, currently in my living room. One of them, of course, is Carville the Alien. This is the four Four or five foot tall, 100 pound wooden alien statue that belonged to Art Bell. He kept it in his studio with him as he was broadcasting his classic shows. And according to Art, his family said that this alien was coming to life at night and running around the house. That is a long story. And so instead of me trying to tell you that story, I I, listen, I built a whole website to tell you this story, and that website is simply ArtBellAlien.com, ArtBellAlien.com. Go there, watch the videos, listen to the audio, look at all the material, the provenance. It's incredible. You'll see why that Carville is like another member of my family here in my house. I also have, of course, in my living room, Dr. Moody's Psychomantium Mirror. I told you in an earlier episode of this show that I have that now in my house, and I will be giving you an update on what has been happening in a future podcast, but uh, it's one of those things that really belongs in the Smithsonian, and I have both of those things right here now, something that I have in storage that will soon be in my living room, however, is a special crystal skull. And let me start by telling you, you know, there, you hear all kinds of weird rumors about the power of crystal skulls and them speaking to people and having a consciousness and all that. And it's, it's certainly possible there's something to it because crystals do store energy and manipulate energy and play energy back and You know, maybe that's worth a whole show, digging into why that crystals are special. But, you know, in 2009, my friends Missy and Ron Hill arranged for their friend, Joshua Shapiro, to come to my laboratory and bring one of his favorite crystal skulls for some testing. And I was there with Forrest Connor and Shelley Wright, and we spent a whole night subjecting this crystal skull to tests. And one weird thing I found was that if you put uh basically a, a telekinetic will or a, or a PK will in front of it, a mind will that you're you're supposed to move with your mind, it would spin fluidly when we put it in front of the skull, but not when we put it in front of the control and if you don't know what kind of wheel I'm talking about, go back and listen to episode three of this show, uh, because episode three was called like how to move things with your mind. So it was a wheel similar to that that would spin incredibly in front of the crystal skull, but not uh, otherwise. And I looked at my report that I wrote after testing the skull in all these different ways. And I wrote the skull is a capacitor that slowly accrues a slight electrical potential and then gradually discharges it. Usually with the current flow from the left temple to the right temple. This is most pronounced when the skull is held by a human. Okay. A human holds it. You get this pronounced flow of energy. I wrote, the skull takes high voltage electrical potential and most likely transforms it into a high frequency output. Hence the fact the skull rarely gave forth a large bolt of discharge to surrounding objects, even though at least 50 to 150,000 volts were being applied to the skull. It's taking voltage and turning it into an electromagnetic broadcast. I also wrote, it may be that this and similar crystal skulls are so popular because of their ability to transform low-frequency electrical potential into high-frequency electrical output that is broadcast at a level to which sensitive individuals can perceive, perhaps even affecting the electrophysiology of the brain. Um, I have... A heck of a crystal skull. Now, I've been telling you about the one that we tested that was owned by Joshua Shapiro. But my good friend, Miss Shailene Gates, she is a world traveler. And years ago, she was in another country and she found this amazing alien crystal skull. It reminds me of something from the Indiana Jones and the Crystal Kingdom of the Crystal Skull movie. We're talking about a skull that's easily, you know, a foot long, a massive chunk of quartz, beautifully carved. And she bought this and she donated it. And I took it to the Bermuda Triangle and charged it up. And I had that in the museum. And I'm telling you, people would go there and they would receive telepathic messages from it, occasionally glimpses of the future. That's another thing that's soon going to be in my house, another one of my really cool possessions that I have in storage right now just for a limited time, um, and that is my alien crystal skull. You know, at some point, I'm going to have all of this stuff on display again here in Las Vegas, and I have not told you about everything that I have because as a surprise, I keep some of my best stuff for Only for people who come to the Creepy Vegas Ghost and UFO Show when they visit Las Vegas. And so uh, it's not running right now, but it should be up and running again very soon. We're just waiting until we get the green light on that. Before I go, I want to read to you a quick story that my buddy, Mr. Vance Pollack, wrote. Because Vance Pollack was the chief historian for my museum, and he also is the operator of the joshua p warren's asheville mystery museum facebook page and it reminded me of this great story when i was going over all these items that you know vance helped me so much researching things and digging up wonderful documents listen to this story vance wrote it's called um the legend of red blood rock and uh He says, as I was growing up, I remember often hearing my mother recount a local legend from her small mountain community. The tale spoke of a murdered man, fallen and bleeding, left to die on a great pale boulder along the side of a creek. And although the body is long gone, every time it rains, the boulder will still run red with blood. As a boy, this story always fascinated me, and I never got tired of hearing it. Many years later, I came across a politician while doing research on my great great grandfather, Kit Bird. According to the book, he was murdered back in 1881 during a run in with his quote business partners, that is to say, fellow moonshiners. They were called the Whitson brothers. The murder happened near Red Hill, a rural mountain community in Mitchell County, North Carolina. It is supposed that all three brothers fired shots at Kit as he attempted to walk away from a heated argument, and Kit staggered to a nearby creek bank where he fell upon a large, pale boulder and bled to death. Red Hill is just miles down the road from the community in which my mom grew up, so without knowing it, she had for decades been recounting a legend. Born from the murder of her own great grandfather. <laughs> that is so typical of the the kinds of uh, synchronicities that Vance Pollock always runs into d- when he does his research. I'm going to have to to be sure to interview Vance. I'm making a note right now. You got to. I got to have Vance on this show. Uh, You know, Vance was I, I specifically chose him to be my replacement host on Speaking of Strange after I no longer had time to host it. And he is just one of those guys uh, crackling with synchronicities. Sherlock Pollock, you put him on a mission to find something, he will find it. He will stumble into it. It will come to him. And so that was one of the reasons that uh, my museum was was such a great place because you had people like Vance Pollack there who was uh who was doing research all the time. So look, that those are just some examples. I'm really just scratching the surface of some of the things that I have in my collection that I find interesting and meaningful. And I hope that you find them also interesting to hear about. And there are some that I really, 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 really wish I could tell you about. But again, I got to save some surprises for, you know, down the road, especially when I do put some stuff back on display. I have some things that are so crazy that... uh <laughs> It's, it's different. You won't even believe how I attained some of the things that I have. So I, I save the very best stuff, of course, um, for those who come to an event where I promised them something big, right? <laughs> so I'll let you know when the creepy Vegas ghost and UFO show is going to be available again here in Las Vegas. Be sure you just sign up for my e-newsletter and I'll advertise that. So, uh, people keep emailing me, telling me about Amazing, wonderful, good fortune that's happening to them every time they listen to the good fortune tone. So on my next podcast, I'm going to read some letters and emails to you about what people are experiencing. And so uh, I'm just going to keep playing this thing because why wouldn't I when I'm getting so much positive feedback? It only lasts 20 seconds. Uh, You should listen to it as often as possible. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Here is... Your good fortune tone once again. That's it.
0: Even listening to Strange Things with Joshua P. Warren for shows like this and others, please make sure to tune in to the new iHeartMedia and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Like us on Facebook, tell your friends, and share us with everyone.